0: Well, welcome to this online worship experience of New Hope Church. I am so glad that you are with us today. And I got to tell you, uh, I didn't sleep well last night, and so I was up late into the morning, actually, and I got to watching some YouTube videos from our church. And they go back as far as like 10 plus years. And uh, I was watching them right up to today. And uh, New Hope, I just miss you. I miss being together in family. I miss the high fives and the hugs and the prayer and the conversations. And and then I was driving into church today, early this morning, Sunday, and a uh, beautiful Sunday, and I just was thinking, oh, I just wish the people We're meeting me there. And so uh, please know my heart. I love you. I miss you. And we will be together soon and very soon. And uh, I'll come out with another video in a week or so giving you an update on what that's looking like. But we continue to pray and we continue to long for the day that we are together. And I realize there are a lot of you who are not even with uh, New Hope family. You're just scattered all over the world and you're a part of our church family nonetheless. And so we welcome you. Today. Well, before we get into it, let me just tell you a few things that we got going on here. Um, We are going to kick off this week 30 days of kindness. 30 days of kindness. I had this thought earlier this week our world desperately needs. Kindness. We know that, right? And so um, I'm going to send out an email later today or tomorrow. If you're in our database, you will get this. If not, let us know so we can get you in our database. 30 ways for us to embody kindness. Uh, We're going to be posting on social media each day of the 30 days. An image corresponding with the particular kindness or action that we are participating in, and uh, we would just encourage you as well to uh, engage these thirty days of kindness, and then post on social media what you did and hashtag it kindness challenge. 2020. Really excited about how God can use us for that. Uh, a week from today is Father's Day, next Sunday, June 21st. And uh, we want to build blessings for Father's Day. And here, here's how this is going to go down. We want you to honor your father or someone who is like a father like figure for you. And uh, to do so, we want you to build a blessing bag. We want you to, to put a bunch of items in a Ziploc bag. You'll see on social media all of those items. We want you to insert into that gallon Ziploc bag as well your dad or your father-like figure and why you are nominating him as father of the year, if you will. Drop that off at a campus and we will then, um, we will pick a winner. We will celebrate a winner, uh, each campus, a dad from each campus. And just a great way to honor our dads. Okay, so here we go. (laughs) Pastor on the hot seat. I don't know why you guys love this so much. We have received a thousand plus questions. Needless to say, I am not going to be able to answer them all, but I'm going to give it my best shot over the next Three weeks to capture uh, the heart and the essence of the questions that you guys have submitted. And so why don't we pray in preparation for this? Pray for me during this time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. And thank you that you instruct, teach, and guide us in the scriptures. And we lean on them now and we pray it in Jesus' name and all of God's people set together. Amen. All right, here's the first question. Got quite a few questions about the current coronavirus. Here's how this question was worded and submitted. Do you think COVID-19 is a part of God's will and or the end times? Now, whenever I get asked about God's will, I always step into the question cautiously. I'm very careful when I start declaring what God's will is. Because I believe often God's will is a mystery. Paul would often refer to it as the Mysterion, the, the mystery of God. And you've seen as well as I've seen many, many times in my life, you can have one person over here saying, this is God's will. And you can have another person over here declaring, this is God's will. And yet they are diametrically opposed to one another. As such, again, I'm just always very careful and very cautious to declare the will of God. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 13:12 For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I am fully known so it's a mystery it's like looking through a glass dimly on this side of heaven But then we stumble across other verses of scripture like we find in Romans 12:2 Where the Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in one sense, you can know the will of God. But in another sense, it can be veiled and not quite clear. Which is why, by the way. I believe we should always approach the topic of God's will with the posture of humility and realize that we might get it wrong. Okay, so back to your question. Do I believe COVID-19 is God's will? Drum roll, please. Answer, no. I don't believe it is God's will. Now, I would never categorically declare yes to that question. I just would not do that. There are days when I might say maybe it's God's will. But today, I would tell you I don't think so. As I read the scriptures, I hold in tension, and I would encourage you to hold in tension, a high view of God's sovereignty and a low view of humanity's fallenness. Let me explain to you what I mean. God is sovereign. God knows all things. God allows all things. But I believe that God often gets blamed for things that God has nothing to do with. I believe God gets blamed for the jacked up, broken conditions of our world. But the truth is, when you study the scriptures and you operate from a biblical worldview... You see that God created everything beautifully and perfect in the beginning. But he gave us choice. And because he gave us choice, we chose sin. And because we chose and we still choose sin, we live in a broken world. And sometimes God gets blamed for that brokenness. Now... A better way, I believe, to ask the question and to think through the coronavirus is not whether or not this is God's will, but rather, is God redeeming this season? Will God use it for his good? Romans 8, 28. And to that question, I would let you know, I categorically believe God is redeeming this season. I believe God is using this to wake his people up for their need for God. God is using this to show the church that we are not a building, but we are people to be scattered and live out our faith in the world. Not just on Sunday in our seats, but Monday through Saturday in the streets. I believe God is using this season to stir moms and dads and challenge and equip them to be priests in their homes and disciple their children. And check this out. I haven't said this publicly yet, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it today. I believe God has used this particular season to cause all of us to be homebound, quarantined, if you will, so that we had no other option but to see for eight minutes and 46 seconds the brutal murder of George Floyd or just a few weeks earlier, the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. And because we were all home, stick with me for a moment, and we were on edge and we saw these things collectively as a nation, I believe God is using it to wake us up. Two weeks ago, I declared that I believe we were maybe reaching a tipping point in America. Remember that? It was like May 31st. I believe that more today than I even believed it when I spoke it two weeks ago. I believe God is waking this country up. I believe you are seeing brown men and black women and white men and Democrats and Republicans and old folks and young folks and everybody kind of declaring together with a unified voice, enough is enough. And we're entering into this tipping point. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we're not going to see any more bad stuff amongst the races. That would be idiotic to say. But again, I think something just lined up just right for us to see and be horrified at the events of late. And thankfully, I believe God is redeeming it and waking us up as a nation. So as we've been... (laughs) trying to flatten the curve on the coronavirus, I believe God has been flattening the moral curve, if you will, or in the words of Dr. King, the moral arc of the universe so that we're finally starting to see human beings valued, all human beings valued as God's crowning creations. King put it like this, the arc of the moral universe is long, come on now, but it bends towards justice. Now, if you like that, someone type in amen or praise the Lord or let it be or whatever. Now, the second part of that question is do I believe we are living in the end times? Hey, I think we are on the backside <laughs> or the backstretch of that moral arc, if you will. Praise be to God. And I believe we are finally seeing it start to bend towards And since I'm using that language on the the backside or the backstretch, let me just take that to this part of the question. Do I believe we are living in the end times? Again, lean in. Maybe another drum roll. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. And anyone who likes to act like they know the answer to that question should put the drugs down. Because you see, the truth is, nobody really knows, and For 2,000 years now, people have been making these prophetic predictions and they get everybody riled up and everybody thinks he's coming at a certain time. And then that time passes and then they they come back up and they sheepishly say, oh, you know what? We missed it by a digit or two. And then they recalculate and then they get another date out in front of us. And the truth is that has been happening over and over and over for 2,000 years. And the truth is we just don't. No. Matthew 24, Jesus instructs us clearly. Watch this. But about the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only what? The father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and it took them all away. Now listen closely. That is how it will be at the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. So we don't know. Now, you can go back, and I encourage you to do this later today. Go back and read the first part of Matthew 24. Yes, the events are starting to line up. I could list them all and be like, check, 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 check. Yes, a case can be made that we are living in the end times. And so much of the scripture is being fulfilled. But listen, that could go on for many, many, many years in our lifetime, or maybe even thousands of years from now, the point is that we should live with wide eyed anticipation and expectation of what is to come. If you are in Christ, this should be a pleasant thought. It's kind of like it's kind of like at Christmas time. I don't, know, I don't know how you experience Christmas, but usually there's a lots of excitement because especially when we were kids, think back when you were a kid and you, you don't know what you're going to get for Christmas. And yet, unless you were a little rascal like me and you snuck into your parents' closets and looked at all the gifts and even those they had wrapped up, we would unwrap them, look at them and then wrap them back up. I know, it's terrible. Mom, I know you watch every Sunday. I am so sorry we did that. But nonetheless, think about when you were expecting and anticipating gifts at Christmas, yet you didn't know what you were going to get. That's how we look at Jesus's return. We're wide-eyed with excitement and anticipation. Even though we don't know when, we know that it will be good for those who are in Christ. So as Bishop T.D. Jakes likes to say, get ready, get ready, get ready. You need to be ready. You need to be be wide-eyed, often looking towards the eastern sky, wondering when it might happen, being ready, having your life ready. But we cannot know for sure. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And when the days grow increasingly dark as 2020 has been, we just declare Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, and when you come, find me ready. Hey, 1 Thessalonians 4, and then we'll move towards the next question. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Better word there is probably ignorant. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Someone type in amen. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Listen closely. This is, this is scripture describing what that day will be like. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord... Forever, I love this next part, underline it. Therefore, encourage one another with these words The end time, the coming of Jesus, the eschatological gathering of God's people will happen. Are we close to it? I don't know. But when it happens, we're gonna see Christ come again gather those who are in Christ to heaven forever we must live readily there's a question later on today that gets back to this point so I'll move on and we'll come back to it for just a moment in a little bit but let's move on to the second question what is the difference between a member and someone who occasionally attends church that's a great question that is a great question membership at new hope has always meant more than a a membership role or a membership roster it's always meant more than a pastor coming down front extending the right hand of christian fellowship and adding your name to a membership role and maybe you get a free burial plot out back or maybe you get special privileges or whatever the case may be No, no 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 when we started this church 18 years ago we were very very intentional to make sure membership meant something that's why this is such a good question and so membership is the ultimate goal for every person who walks through the door of a New Hope campus. I like to say it like this, from the door to the core. From the door to the core. Let me show you a little diagram here. So you've got, you've got those who visit our church, or maybe you're just visiting online during the season, and you're going to eventually walk through a door when we gather. So you've got the door, then you've got the crowd, then you've got the congregation, Then you've got the committed. And then lastly, you have the core. This is where membership hangs out right here. This is where folks come. They check out the church. They start to like the church. They look at the beauty of this multi-ethnic, multi-age church. They become a part of the crowd. That's just those who kind of come sporadically. Then they become a part of the congregation where they're maybe a little more regular Then they're they're committed. They start getting committed to this place. Membership is this committed or better yet, this core area. They go through rooted. They get an opportunity to join the church. They join the church and they really are the backbone of this church body. It's because of these folks right here that we are able to take the message of the gospel far and wide and spread not only hope but holiness all over the world. We're able to go to foreign lands. We're able to do missions. We're able to serve around here. We're able to create these campuses where folks can find hope as we reach, teach, and release them. It's it's these folks. We, We love these folks who come to church. But God uses these folks, the members of our church, to take the message of hope far and wide. Ephesians 2 Why don't you just read this out loud with me wherever you are. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Very, very important. Look at Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. We love the church. We love Christ and we give ourselves up for the church. It's very popular today for people to say, well, I like God, I just don't like the church. Those are incompatible ideas. You cannot love Jesus but dislike his bride. And so I just wanna encourage you and I thank, thank you for asking this question. I wanna encourage you to, to become a member of this church. An attender, is a consumer and again we love those folks and we want people to just come and check it out kick the tires all that but a member is a contributor and the truth is we live in a day and age where very few people want to be committed to anything think about it a job our country the attitude has produced a generation of church shoppers and hoppers membership kind of swims against the current if you will of this consumer religion that is so popular in this day and age. But the truth is, every team has a roster. Every school has an enrollment. Every business has a payroll. Every army has an enlistment. Our country even takes a census and requires it for voter registration. Membership identifies our church family. And for those who are a part of this church, they know that, hey, we engage in what we call the three C's around here. We connect in life groups and world changer ministry. So we connect with others. We celebrate in weekly worship. Thank you for being here today. And we contribute God's tithe, 10% of our income to the advancement of God's kingdom. So again, I would encourage you to keep your eyes and your ears open for rooted in the fall and come be a member of this church. Hey, as we go to question number three, why don't you guys just take a moment and just type into the comments, what do you love about this church? What is it that you get excited about at New Hope Church? Or for those of you who are members, why are you a member and what do you? What caused you, what was it about this church that caused you to commit to the three C's of membership? Question number three, this is a big one. This is a big one. What does the Bible say about cremation versus burial? Do you think one is better than the other? Now, interestingly enough, I get a lot of questions about this. Folks are often asking about what do we do with the body of deceased ones? To rightfully try and answer this question, I need to start out with a very important disclaimer. Like this question, you're asking me what I think is better or best. And so I'm gonna give you that, of course, as I always do, grounded in the word of God. But here is a significant disclaimer. God is bigger than any of this. God holds the keys to life and death. Amen? Heaven and hell. All eternity. So what is most important for us is not what we do with these bodies after we die, but what is most important is what do we do with our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies before we die? But again, you asked the question, and so I'm going to give you my opinion Grounded in scripture. Okay. The first thing you need to think about is what does the Bible say about cremation? The Bible says nothing about cremation. Nothing. The one time that the Bible mentions burning people, it ain't good. Okay. I mean, like, it's bad. Joshua 7, 25. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? the Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Obviously, this is not a positive experience. And when we see bodies burned today outside of cremation, right, it's usually not a good situation. It's after horrific events in some parts of the world where they'll put piles of bodies and they burn them and it, ain't good. It's always unfortunate and sad in the scriptures if you don't have a burial. Burial was a way of honoring the deceased. So I'll say it like this in my notes. Biblically speaking, cremation is not mentioned in the Bible and burial is the most honorable thing you can do for a deceased loved one. Now, secondly, I think for us to have an educated and informed discussion on the topic, we have to come to terms with a doctrine that we find in the Bible, yet I personally believe believe it is one of the most neglected doctrines in the New Testament. I'm talking about two words, bodily resurrection. Resurrection. This is one of the most neglected eschatological doctrines that we see in the scriptures. And yet I can't answer a question about cremation versus burial without talking about a bodily resurrection. And the good news, we've already spoken about a text earlier. Remember I said we'll get back to this. 1 Thessalonians 4. And because this, this doctrine is so neglected and because we don't think like that as Westerners in the 21st century, we can read right over passages and miss it. In fact, we might have read over it earlier and you might have missed this important doctrine. So let's go back to it. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven... these words. Again, it's an encouraging message, but it's a bodily resurrection. This is very clear in Scripture. Look at Matthew 27, 52. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were Raised. This is when Jesus was raised from the dead. This is an event that we see recorded in the Gospels that even then some folks were raised from the dead out of their tombs as a bodily resurrection. Look at Daniel 12, 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Look at John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. First Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trumpet, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the what? Dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. I know it feels odd. It feels different. It's hard for us to imagine. But here's what the Bible clearly says. There will come a day, the end time, not times, but end time. There will come a day when Jesus will come and pierce the eastern sky. With the command of the archangel, the trumpet will sound. The Bible says that those who have been buried will be raised out of the ground. I know, feels weird. You're probably thinking of some movies that you've seen or something, right? Raised out of the ground. If we're still living here, they will go first, but we will follow them, and we will be called by God to heaven forever. Hey, one more more text. I love this passage from Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were dry, them dry bones. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Listen, church, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I, here it is again, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit, the word is Numa." <laughs> The breath of God. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. It's the eschatological coming of the Lord to gather his faithful. Church, Like I said earlier, we don't know when that will be, but we should live ready for that reality. And I can't fully explain what that heavenly body will look like as God calls forth his people from the graves and those who are still living. We know it will be different. We know we'll have new heavenly bodies. And it gives me a chance just to wrap this question up with this very important disclaimer. Again, remember I said God is bigger than any of this. And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, can God do that with the ashes of of my grandparents or my parents or a child or whatever? God can do whatever God wants to do. God is all powerful. God is sovereign. And God can bring a heavenly body out of an urn of ashes. I'm sure he can. But the $64,000 question for believers, once you study the scriptures and you see that cremation is not mentioned in the Bible, and yet throughout the Bible, you see bodily resurrection mentioned and honoring the deceased with a burial, the question then becomes, listen closely, what do you do with what you know? And for me, I have concluded that burial is the most honoring thing I can do, biblically speaking, for my loved ones. And for me, burial will be the route that I take another way to ask the question would be why would I burn that which God plans to bodily resurrect on the last day you asked me and that is my opinion and I'm sure I'll get lots of questions and lots of emails And some of you will feel bad because maybe you've been involved in a cremation of a loved one. Again, God is big. God is powerful. And if a person is in Christ, they are in Christ. Case closed. But the question was submitted. And I think it's important for those of us who are still living to consider what I've said today. All right. Woo, that's heavy talking about death and burial and Cremation and all that. Let's lighten it for a moment. Let's go do some rapid-fire questions. I can go and tell you we're not going to get through all the questions today, and that's what we'll do each week. If we don't get through the questions that's listed there on the screen, we will pick right back up there next week, and um, we will just keep plowing through each of these questions. But uh, here we've got uh, Christina. She's a great staff person, uh, friend of ours. She's a uh, she's going to throw me some questions. So what's up, Christina? How's it
1: going, Pastor Benjamin? Hey, so glad hey to I'm good. Evening. How
0: are you doing today?
1: Doing excellent. Doing excellent. You ready to jump into this?
0: I guess so. I need something to get off the burial and the (laughs) cremation. That's a big, heavy topic, and I just know some people's heart is heavy right now, so you just need to uh, be encouraged. Remember, the Bible says let these words encourage you, and yes, Christina, let's turn the corner and go into these questions. What you got?
1: All right. It sounds good. So first question for you, Pastor. What television show would you like to make a cameo in? Huh.
0: What television show? Man, I've been a big fan for the last couple of years. Uh, this is us. This is us. It's raw, it's real, it's gritty, it's about life. <laughs> it's, it, I love it. This is us.
1: That's awesome. Uh, good. Uh, what's a movie that has made you cry from laughter?
0: <laughs> I'm, a, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, don't judge me. Don't judge me no out judgment, there. No judgment, no okay? judgment. <laughs> I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to everybody else, Christina. Uh, couples Retreat. Uh, it, couples Retreat. I, I've never seen a movie or um, more hilarious, and I, I won't do any impersonations. Encouragement. There you go. <laughs> if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Great, hilarious movie. Awesome, awesome. And
1: what movie has made you cry from sadness?
0: Let me just say this about the Couples Retreat. Can I please say this? You, this is a movie for, for married people. And um, single people, you need to stay away from it for a while. Anywho. So the movie that's
1: made you cry from sadness.
0: Oh, uh, the story of Antoine Fisher um, touched me deeply, was really so much a part of my story. Denzel Washington movie, it's, it's a little old now, but uh, uh, never had a movie move me quite like that.
1: Yeah, can't go wrong with Denzel.
0: No, he's the best. <laughs> All right,
1: so if you could be a rock star from any decade, who would you be?
0: Oh, that's easy, 80s. David Lee Roth. Van Halen, there and 1984 to be exact. First concert I ever went to, big Van Halen fan back in the day.
1: Nice. And what was the name of your first pet?
0: Oh, a black Labrador retriever, um, Tar Baby. We called him Tar Baby.
1: That's nice. I mean, <laughs> not to be compared with Abby right now. Everybody knows Abby. Oh, let me tell you,
0: Tar Baby was awesome, but Tar Baby's got nothing on Abby.
1: Oh, man. So if you attempted to play any sport professionally, what sport would that be?
0: Easy, baseball.
1: Boom! And what's your favorite team of all time?
0: Oh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Steel Curtain. Steel Terry curtain, Bradshaw, baby. John Stallworth, Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert. That was the team <laughs> back in the day.
1: Man, you know them like you know the Bible, Oh, man. yeah, they were,
0: they were it. <laughs> I'm, still a, I'm still a big Steelers fan. Steel
1: Curtain, man. Yep. And who is your favorite player?
0: Hmm. Peyton Manning. Peyton, Peyton Manning.
1: Manning. Classic. Safe choice. Safe choice. Yep. All right. What's your favorite place to hang out?
0: On my Harley Davidson.
1: On the Harley. Just riding.
0: Close second, though, would be, I must say, on the water. I love, love, love being on the water. Uh, So, yeah. Sweet, sweet.
1: And when you're not working, what's one thing you love to do?
0: One thing I love to do, um, hunting and fishing. Hunting and fishing. And watching movies with my family. I'm giving you more than one answer because some of these are close (laughs) ties.
1: (laughs) I got you. All good, all good. And what is your worst habit?
0: Oh. This is embarrassing too. Um, my worst habit, I got a bottle up here right now. My worst habit is that I will take, I will take gum that I'm chewing. And once I've chewed it, I'm done with it. Um, if I don't have a trash can nearby, if I have a trash can nearby, I'll dispose of it the right way. But if I don't, usually I don't, I put my gum in the water. And you, you might think that's nasty, but here's the beautiful thing. It, it flavors your water. <laughs> if I'm chewing spearmint gum, before long I got spearmint water. Now, the problem is if you let that sit all day and you wake up tomorrow and you drink out of that bottle, it's nasty. And a little side story, my kids always grab my water bottles and they start drinking it. And they've done that and they think this is the most disgusting habit in the world. And so now when they grab the water, they always check it to make sure there's no gum in it. And uh, by the way, often on Sundays, I'll have gum in my mouth. And before I walk on stage, I put it in there. So I know now that all of you will be trying to see if there's gum in there. There's no gum in there today. It's disgusting, but uh, it's, it's what I do.
1: That's all right, Pastor. We still love you. We still love thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And what is your best habit?
0: Oh, I don't know. I guess cleanliness, organized.
1: Organized. That's always a good trait to have. A great yep. trait. Yep. And if you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would it be?
0: Can Jesus be the answer?
1: I don't see why not. Sure, why not? Jesus,
0: or for those of you out there going like, no, you can't pick Jesus. All right, I'd say the Apostle Paul.
1: Apostle Paul. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And what is the best piece of advice you have ever received?
0: Oh, Pastor Billy Milligan used to tell me, keep your head down and your heart up. Mm -hmm. Head down in humility and your heart up in joy.
1: Ooh, that's good. That's good. And what's your favorite food?
0: Oh. Surf and turf, baby. And if you don't know what surf and turf is, I'm talking about steak and, and some kind of fish, sushi or salmon or whatever the case, tuna.
1: And I have to ask, how do you like your steak cooked?
0: Medium, all the Medium. way, all day Good. long.
1: Solid choice, solid choice. Yep. And what's your least favorite food?
0: Ah, uh, my least favorite food would be like um, eggplant. I don't like the texture <laughs> or, or boiled, um, boiled stuff. Like, you know, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> boiled stuff.
1: <laughs> all righty and uh what was your first job that you ever had
0: legal or illegal <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know i'm gonna let you choose
0: <laughs> sorry uh,
1: we're real here in uh, new hope
0: man my my first and it, it was my first job because this was before any of the stupid bc before christ illegal stuff um I would cut grass. I would cut lawns in my neighborhood. I'd push my lawnmower through the neighborhoods with a tank of gas, and i cut yards, $10 a pop, and I would cut cut six to seven yards a day.
1: Lawn care, that's solid. Yeah. All righty. Tax-free,
0: baby. It was all cash.
1: That's right. You got to get the hold on. (laughs) that. Hold on to that. (laughs) All righty. And what song have you played more than any other song?
0: Um... Broken Window Serenade. You probably don't know. I like all kinds of genres of music, but that's one that when I'm just hanging out on the lake, or it's it's it's, it's a, a album that I go to, and it's it's one. Broken Window Serenade. Very nice.
1: And if you were a DJ, what would your DJ name be?
0: Some of these are hard. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think I'd be a good DJ. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Bouncing B.
1: <laughs> Bouncing B. <laughs>
0: Oh no, bumping B, bouncing B. It's like you're a bouncer at the door. I don't know, something like that.
1: Bouncing B. Okay, bouncing on, B. I'm gonna start calling you that around church. Is that okay? Oh my
0: lord, I can see it now.
1: <laughs> All right, so last and final question for you, Pastor. What is your favorite childhood memory?
0: Oh, easy. Little League World Series. I was a pitcher in the Little League World Series, uh, 1982. We lost the championship game, and that that was an incredible memory for me. Not the losing part, uh, just going to the World Series. We lost. I was in the parking lot. Balling my eyes out, and my dad came and kissed me on my forehead, and the only time he ever told me he loved me, and it's one of my favorite childhood memories.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks so much, Pastor, for answering those yep. questions.
0: Yep. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Um, all right, we got to move quickly. I'm only going to get through one more, I think, but let's go ahead and get it, because this is a really good question. We absolutely love attending New Hope for many reasons, one of which is racial diversity, we would like to see more people of color on staff. Is this a priority for you? And that's an easy question to answer. It is categorically a high, high priority for me. The answer is emphatically. Yes, you can ask any staff member around this church, um, diversity on our stages, diversity in our social marketing materials, diversity on our staff. I've been like the watchdog for that for 18 years. It is incredibly important to me. And as we're talking about staffing, though, I should probably let everyone know this is not an easy task, um, people ask me all the time, what's the hardest thing you do? Um, it's just staffing in general, not staffing for diversity. Just finding high caliber, quality staff members in the church is really, really hard to do. On top of that, it's even more difficult to build a team of diversity. You know, we hire around here uh Based on many things, three of which, the three C's, is competency, chemistry, and character. We want to make sure the people that we hire are competent in the job that we're hiring them for. That there's a chemistry with our culture and our team. And that there is a character. We believe character is incredibly important. And one of the things you need to know about me, and I I will own this gladly. We will never hire someone just because of the color of their skin. That would not be wise. Or good stewardship. But we will keep interviewing and we will keep bringing as many diverse candidates as we possibly can to the table. And with all things equal, we're going to keep building a diverse team, but it's really not easy. But I'll tell you what this question did. It caused me to go to our staff page and look at our staff page on the New Hope Church website. And a rough quick count for me just the other day. We have 55 staff members at New Hope Church. 17 of those are people of color not just african-americans but but people of color that are not white that is 31 percent people of color on the new hope team now i will tell you i want to see that increased but that's pretty strong and i'm Thankful for that, but we're going to keep striving. And some of you are sitting there wondering maybe, well, why is that even an important question? Let me tell you something. This is a very important question. And kudos to all of you who asked a question similar to this. It's important because we want to create a staff team that fully represents God's created order. We want to create a staff team, in other words, that's going to look a lot like heaven, And so if you don't like diversity, come on, come on, you're not going to like heaven. Have you ever thought about that? That's why we got to deal with this racial issue here and now, because this is a dress rehearsal for heaven. And when we get to heaven, there's going to be every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Let me go and show it to you. Go to Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. Get a visual of this. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. If you don't like diversity, you won't like heaven. Oh, and one more thing. If you don't like a big church, sometimes people come to New Hope and they go, I don't like this church. It's too big. I'm going to go down down the street to another church. That's that's fine. That's fine. But if you don't like a big church, you're going to hate heaven too. (laughs) So you better warm up to diversity and you better warm up to a lot of people because that is what heaven is going to be about. I say it like this in my notes. God loves big and God loves diverse. Why? Because God loves all people. And when we get to heaven, we're going to gather around the throne of God. We're going to be worshiping God, praise and glory, wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever and ever. So this is a really, really important question. And it causes me to just look towards heaven. And as I think about it, that's kind of been a theme today of the questions you guys have asked this first week And maybe that's because we need a vision for that. Maybe that's because as we live in these dark, desperate days of 2020, what we need to be reminded of is that this is not all there is to the story. We need to be reminded that these 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years is just a on the eternal timeline of God. And it's so minuscule compared to the day that he will come or we will die first and we get taken to heaven where we see this creation ultimately redeemed to paradise as it was created in the beginning before we made the bad choices and experienced the fall. And it will be glorious. The Bible says in Revelation, there will be no tears. The Bible says there will not be a sun, S-U-N, because there will be the sun, S-O-N. Go read Revelation 21 and 22. And the sun, the S-O-N, will radiate and light up all of heaven where we will be gathered with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, Loving God and loving one another as He always intended it to be. And I don't know about you, but it's in days like this where I really, really long for that day. I think I said it earlier Maranatha. You know what that means? It means, Come, Lord Jesus. And often when I see bad events happen in this world or I just have a bad day or we're in a bad season, I'll look towards that eastern sky and I'll say, Maranatha, just come Lord Jesus. And the more you walk with Christ and maybe the older you get, I have found that the more you long for heaven because this world will never satisfy And the reason this world will never satisfy and the reason you are never fully content here is because God has hardwired you and put something inside of you to long for heaven. So let's live like that. Let's live lives that are ready to see him come. Let's live with excited anticipation for heaven and eternity While we advance his kingdom here and now and we see lives changed. Today we're going to change it up. I want to share with you a life change story. Don't click off. We're not going to sing anymore today. We just want to show you a short life change story and then I will come up and wrap us up today. And we will get with these questions that we didn't get to today. We will start with those next week and have another four or five questions to attack next Sunday. But for now... Check out this powerful story.
2: So I grew up in a Catholic family, and uh, my parents were both teachers. Having teachers as parents, it wasn't enough for, in terms of their salary, it wasn't enough. If you're going to convert it in U.S. dollars, it's $2 a month for both parents. And there were seven members in the family. Um, They always fought about money. Money was the biggest issue because we didn't have Enough to support the family. When we say fight, it's f- plates are flying, spoons and uh, knives, anything that they can get hold of. So I thought that by eliminating myself, there will be less to feed and hopefully that will stop the fighting. And I think I was third grade when I tried to first try to kill myself by drinking gasoline. My parents realized what I did and that stopped them from fighting. After a while, they had another big fight. I felt like I'm just done. I'm just done with the fighting. And um, one summer I attended the church service and for some reason I just started crying and I couldn't stop crying. And I felt like something filled my soul. And that afternoon, I accepted Christ. It amazed me how how much God had brought me so far. If I'm going to look back, I couldn't even imagine that I'm here now. Every single day, I would try to wake myself up and just ask, is this even real? And it's real. this. So every Sunday, I attend the online service now because stay-at-home order. Whenever I'm running on my treadmill, that's what I put on. I watch the service. I watch um, the praise and worship Thursdays. There was one song that, Waymaker, that was the song. I cannot stop crying when they sang that song. Stay. And I was just crying. I felt so blessed. And you know, when is the best time to rededicate yourself? There's no best time, it's now because I cannot imagine being here. He made a way in every step that I made, in every experiences that I have. He was there all along. This has been a great experience for me because you grow as a person, you grow in faith. So those questions that you have, people have the same question that you have. I'm blessed with my family, um, the support, and the church group, they're blessed. And I'm so blessed.
0: Wow. Marina, we love you. Thank you for sharing your story. Hey, would you guys just light it up with some comments of encouragement for her? She attends the Wake Forest campus and the Sanford campus. She kind of goes back and forth between those two because of what she does. But thank you. For sharing your story with us. And we are so thrilled that you have experienced the hope of the gospel. Hey, and before we sign off today, I just have a deep sense in my spirit that there are people out there who, as we've talked about life and death, as we've talked about morbid things like burial versus creation, as we've th- talked about what can be an intimidating subject jesus's final return and the end of it all even though paul says let these words encourage you some of you might just be a little rattled some of you might be watching this and you don't know that you're saved and because you don't know that you're saved you're intimidated and frightened by the thought of death and i just want to let you know today just like moreno you can actually know that you know that you know that you are saved you can know that your eternity is secure in the hands of a gracious God. And the way you do that is you ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You ask Jesus to come in, fill you with the Holy Spirit, forgive you of your sins by His shed blood on the cross at Calvary, and you rest in the fact that you are an adopted child of the Most High God. And so if you desire that, if you if you want to make sure that you're saved today, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I want to encourage all of you who are watching, you're already saved to pray right now for the people who are going to make this prayer the declaration of their heart today. So pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to be my savior. God, when I think about death and the afterlife, I get worried and concerned. And I need to know today. I need to know today that I am saved. That my sins have been forgiven. And that my eternity rests with you forever in heaven. And so I receive you. I receive you into my life as Lord. Which means you are the master. I will do what you say to do. I will follow you. And I want to receive you as Savior, which means I receive what you did for me on the cross 2,000 years ago. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I am yours. You are mine. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me follow you from this day forward. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.